You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Good morning, Radiant Church. Good to see all of you here on this holiday weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you. If you're visiting, thank you so much for visiting and uh, just taking uh, a part of your weekend to worship with us. We're so honored to have you as our guest this morning. Hey, let me just quickly say this. Last week, if you were not with us, I did a message on human sexuality, really a, a theology of sex, of sexuality. And I don't know, I think it was the mo- one of the most life-giving messages I've ever given. I'm not, I'm not trying to like brag or boast or anything like that. Um, if you weren't here, um, I would love for you to just check that out. Go on our YouTube page or go to our Facebook stream and watch that. And the reason why I think it's so important is because, I mean, you know this, we live in such a confused culture today. There's so much confusion when it comes to human sexuality. And uh, I wanted to bring some light to that, the light of what God's Word says about that. So make sure you check that out. I think it's very life-giving. You'll be encouraged, and you'll know the truth. And of course, the Bible says when we know the truth, uh, when we apply it, then we are set free. It's good news. It is good news, you guys. Very good news. Well, today, listen, um, we're in part number 19. We've been in this series for 19 weeks, not straight, of course, um, but 19 weeks nevertheless in the book of Acts, and I've entitled this The Spirit-Empowered Church, The Spirit-Empowered Church. And if you're new to the faith or new to the Bible, uh, maybe you're here and you really don't know anything about the Bible, that's cool. We, we're so glad that you're here. The book of Acts is found in the New Testament, and it's a book that talks about the origins of the church. So if you've ever wondered, what is this all about? Why do, we, why do people gather? Why do they sing? Why do you know, someone get up on stage and talk about the Bible? What's that all about? Listen, um, look no further than the book of Acts. And what we discover in the book of Acts is that Jesus' first apostles, his first followers, they started traveling all throughout the Mediterranean. And today, Paul's going to go all the way to Europe. He's heading to Europe to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus is the Son of God, the good news that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, the good news that Jesus did not remain dead, but he rose from the grave and he lives today. He is indeed the Son of God, and he's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his church. And as Paul traveled around the world, he began to start churches. He began to establish churches where like 30 or 40 people would gather in homes and they would begin to worship together and they would read the letters that Paul or one of the other gospel writers or, or New Testament writers wrote to them. And it's really a powerful thing. Now, in today's message, we're going to focus in on three specific people, really two, but let me just... Uh, Let me just give a caveat to that. In Acts chapter 16, our focus is going to be on Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, if you remember, if you have been with us, you probably remember the message where I talked about Paul and Barnabas. They used to be partners in the ministry. They traveled together. 
But they went their separate ways because they had such a sharp disagreement. They couldn't get along because it was basically something that John Mark had done. John Mark had deserted them a way back. And Paul didn't want him back on the team, but Barnabas did. So Paul takes Silas, and he goes one way. And, and Barnabas, he takes John Mark, and he goes another way. Well, Paul and Silas, along the way, they pick up a guy named Timothy. And he's a young man, and he travels with him as well on these missionary journeys. And again, they begin to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 16, I want to give you some context because we won't look at the entire chapter because there's too much there. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his, and his companions, his team, they are traveling from the city of Troas, which is in Turkey, all the way up to Philippi, which is a Roman colony in the district of Macedonia. Now, let me show you a map quickly to give you more of a, some more context here to help you understand what this is all about. So, Paul, on the right-hand side, is coming from Troas. He goes up all the way up to Philippi. I've circled it for you to make it really, really easy. Really, that's, that, that entire region is, is Macedonia and Greece. And so they're traveling into Europe. And if Philippi sounds familiar to you, here's the reason. Because if you go to your Bible and go to the New Testament, open up to the book of Philippians, well, that is the letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, okay? And that happens, the start of that church actually happens here in Acts chapter 16. Very, very cool stuff. So this is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Remember, he traveled all throughout um, several cities in Turkey with Barnabas. Well, now he's going to go back to some of those cities, but now he's traveling further east into Macedonia, into Greece, right, to spread the good news of the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So today we're going to focus in on Philippi and what happens there, okay? That's going to be our focus, Philippi, Acts chapter 16. Let's take a breather. Let's take a moment. We're going to pray. And I've entitled this message, Songs in the Midnight Hour. Songs in the Midnight Hour. And uh, forgive me for my voice I keep losing my voice every other day. I don't know what's happening. I probably just need some honey or something, lemons, or suck on a lemon for a while. I don't know. But just forgive me. I'm trying to get through this the best that I can. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and you are so good to us, Lord. You're so good to us. And today, I pray, Lord, that blind eyes would be open to you. Lord, I pray for, Lord, I specifically pray every week that the person who doesn't know you would come to know you, God. Lord, would you soften a hardened heart? Lord, you know, life is hard, and sometimes we go through stuff, it's just, man, it's difficult. We find ourselves battling depression, battling anxiety, trying to take, you know, 100 pills a day to try to soothe our ailments. And Lord, what we need is you. We need you, God. We're lost. We're hopeless. We're wandering. So Father, if there's someone in here today who doesn't know you, how would you draw them close to you? I want them to know you, God, not just a church, not just religion that doesn't do anything. I want them to know you like the real you, like the person of Jesus Christ. So God, would you unlock deaf ears? Would you soften hardened hearts? Would you bring healing to those who need healing today, whether that's physical healing or emotional healing, God? Would you do that? And would you draw us close to your son, Jesus Christ? 
Lord, our world needs you. Country desperately needs you right now, God. We don't need just better policies, God. We need Jesus. We need policies are good, and I'm not against that, but God, we need you. We need you, because what we see right now in our world is evil, despicable, horrific, God, and we need the king of glory, Jesus Christ, the only one who can transform a person's heart. So come, Holy Spirit, come, and inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, I pray this over this church. I pray this over anyone watching online. Lord, bring healing and hope to those who are watching right now, to those who are in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna go right to verse number 16 to begin our message today. This is Acts 16, verse number 16. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, I have the words up here, and I want you to follow along there. So let's just dive in, you guys. Here's what it says. This is Luke writing. Luke is a doctor, by the way. Um, Once, when we, notice the pronoun we, he's basically saying he's a part of this team. Like, he's traveling with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, check this out, you guys. We were met by a female slave. This is like a, like, you've heard of human trafficking, right? This is like... This is like the first time it's happened here in the scriptures. Like we've heard of, a lot of us have heard of um, human sex trafficking or human trafficking. Well, here's an here's a instance of it right here in the scriptures. We, we met a, a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, okay? By which she predicted the future. This is like fortune telling, by the way, okay? She earned a great deal of money for her owner's by her fortune telling. In other words, she was owned by someone else, okay? This is why we see that human trafficking right here happens in the Bible right here. So here we see, I'm gonna pause there. Here we see Paul and his companions, they're in Philippi, and they, they meet this girl. She's a slave. And the scripture says that she has a spirit that enables her to predict the future, okay? Now, a little bit more, a little of a translation actually says this. She's a, she has a spirit of divination. But if you want to get into the Greek, which is, I didn't, this is mind-blowing because I did not even know this was there in the text until I looked in the Greek. Literally in the Greek, it says that she had a python spirit. Isn't that wild? They met a girl who had a python spirit. And it enabled her to what? To predict the future. Like fortune-telling or, or, or becoming a psychic, something of that nature, right? Now, why does it say in the Greek a python spirit? Here's why. Because the Greeks of that day believed that the python, which was a mythical serpent, check this out, guarded the temple of the god, the Greek god Apollo. That temple was found in the city of Delphi, which is in Greece. Now, after the year A.D. 50, I did a bit of research on this, after the year A.D. 50, The term python was used to describe anyone who was possessed by a spirit who gave them the ability to prophesy. So it was very common that pagan generals, check this out, would visit someone who had a python spirit before they marched off into war. So you can imagine, imagine with me, listen, that if you owned a girl who could predict the future, 
it could earn you lots and lots and lots of money. Hence the reason why she's a slave. Now, let me say this as another caveat today, because this is really, really important, okay? I want to just tell you that fortune-telling and psychics are not a part of the Christian faith. They are not a part of the Christian faith. If you are a believer and you're going to see a psychic or you're going to see a fortune teller, or you're going to have your, your palm read, you're going to you know, um, read tarot cards, I want to just tell you that they are not, that is not in congruence with the Christian faith. That is very, very on the opposite realm of the Christian faith. And so I say this with love because I've met a lot of Christians, well, maybe not a lot, just a few, just a few Christians who were actually visiting fortune tellers or visiting psychics or Reiki or whatever it's called, and they thought it was cool. They're like, it's not a big deal. Like, this is part, like, they use language like light and love, and they even refer to Jesus. Like, they don't tell you which Jesus, but they refer to Jesus, and it, it's, it's all fine, right? And, and I say, no, 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 it's, it's not fine at all. It's actually, like, really bad news. It's, it's bad. Because, listen, the, the Apostle Paul talks about the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, you can read that later, and I would, I would read it very, very, very carefully with several translations maybe and slowly, okay? But when you read about prophecy, which is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives, that is used to what? To build up, to edify, to encourage the church. And that is given from who? The Spirit of God. Okay? Right? Are we all on the same page? That's given by the Spirit of God. Some of you operate in the gift of prophecy once in a while. I do myself, okay? That's actually, I feel like that's one of my, my gifts, my go-to gifts, okay? That's from God. That's the Holy Spirit. Awesome. But when you go see a fortune teller or a psychic or a palm reader, and they tell you the future, they might prophesy over you death. They might prophesy over you very, very dark news. And that is not a message from God. That is a message from Satan. So if you're going to an individual, and I say this with love, if you're going to an individual and you're trying to contact the dead, it's very, 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 very likely that you're not contacting your old Uncle Bob who passed away 10 years ago. You're contacting a demon masquerading as Bob. Right? So here's what I want to say to you with, with love. If you're doing that, stop right now. Stop immediately. Repent means turn away from that. Okay? Renounce and come to Jesus. And I didn't say this first service Okay, I didn't say it first service, but I'm going to say it here. If that's you, I want to talk to you after service. Okay, I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you specifically. I don't want you to talk with, with uh, you can wait for me. I might be busy, but I want to pray with you specifically, okay? Because we need to, we need to pray a specific way. And, I do, and, and there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. I'm not going to do that. I don't have time to judge people, okay? But I want to pray with you because we do need to walk through that very carefully. And I think we need to pray very specifically for you, Okay? Because I want you set free, and I want you to experience the freedom that Jesus has won for you by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary, okay? Okay, let's keep going. All right, verse number 17, here's what happens with this, with this female. It says this, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. Check this out, she already knows. So the Python spirit has, has told her who these, who these men are. 
These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Accurate. Okay. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love this, Paul. He came, became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, I love this. He's speaking to the spirit now, not to the girl. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At the moment, the spirit left her, departs. Amazing, right? So here's what happens. Paul's annoyed because they're, she's She's following them around, and she's shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. He's like, enough, like, listen, enough, listen. He looks at the spirit, looks at the girl. In the name of Jesus Christ, right, you must come out of her. She's set free. Here's what this means. She's no longer able to tell the future, foretell the future, to, to be a psychic or a fortune teller or a palm reader, right? She can no longer do that. So guess what? Her owners are really, really upset. Because why? Because they're making them all kinds of money. So what do they do? They come in and they drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace and they bring them before the authorities. Now, there are these people known as magistrates, and that's kind of a fancy way of saying um, judges. And judges, they, you know, they acted as judges and they would pronounce a sentence over people, blah, blah, blah. So these magistrates order that Paul and Silas, check this out, are stripped naked beaten with rods, and they're flogged. That's a bad day. And I've gotten a flat tire before. That's a, that's a pretty bad day. And I've never been beaten with rods and then flogged, okay? Like, that is a bad day. That was 40 lashes minus one. And let me just paint a picture for you quickly. Jesus was flogged. You guys remember this, right? Jesus was flogged. Did you know that the apostle Paul in Scripture says that he experienced 40 lashes minus one five times. Five times. How on earth did he live through those? I have no idea. Now, let me just say this. When you're flogged or when you're whipped, it doesn't just, like, give you a little paper cup, okay? It leaves, like, stripes. That's why the Scripture says, by his stripes, we're talking about the lashes on Jesus' By his stripes, we are healed. So Paul and Silas, picture this, have stripes all over their backs, open wounds, perhaps bleeding, right? And listen, when you get whipped, every time you're whipped, it pulls some of the flesh out of your back. This is like horrific stuff. This is not just like, hey, don't do that again, little Timmy. No, this is like, we're going to beat you senseless and then whip you. And if you have the courage to proclaim the gospel again, well, then we'll do it again. Okay? This is like a horrific day for these guys. So let's shoot up to verse number 25. Let's see what happens, because now they're in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I want you to, to, to hear that. It's midnight, all hope seems lost, it's dark. They're praying and they're singing hymns to God. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors, 
open. He drew his sword. He's about to commit suicide. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, remember, listen, Rome, Rome said that if you were watching over guards and they escaped, that whatever punishment they were going to receive happened to you. So we thought, well, it's over for me, right? I'm a, he's about to thrust himself with probably a sword. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're here. We're here. So the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell. Listen to this. Listen to what the jailer does. Fell trembling before Paul. Silence. He, he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's incredible. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There was no band there. there was, James wasn't there with his keyboard setting the mood, right? Okay. You didn't have like an angel like Kendall singing, right? You didn't have like a great preacher like me. <laughs> Just kidding, all right? All you had was this moment of hysteria and this jailer, right, who thinks all, hope's, all hope is lost. And he just gets on his knees and is like, what do I got to do to be saved? Right? And they're just like, believe in Jesus, man. That's it. Just believe in Jesus. Doesn't take a church. Doesn't take a pastor. Right? You can be saved in your living room. Come on, someone, right? Yes, you can be saved on the street corner. You can be saved in your darkest hour. You can be saved when you're about to maybe even take your own life. Cry out to Jesus is what these people are saying, is what the apostles are saying. They spoke the word of the Lord. This is verse number 32. They spoke, spoke, they spoke the word of the Lord to, to him and to all the others in the house. At the hour of the night, the jailer took them, and check this out, he washed their wounds. Isn't that amazing? Like his heart is transformed like that. He washes their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized, their water baptized. The jailer brought them into the house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy, you guys, because he had come to believe in God. Isn't that amazing? When you're saved, you, joy comes over you. Have you been in misery today? Have you been depressed? Have you felt like life has no purpose? Have you felt like you just want to just throw in the towel, like you hate everyone, everything? Listen, the solution for you is Jesus. That's the, that's the word of the Lord for you today. It's Jesus. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your answer. Listen, that is where you need to put your trust in, your, your hope. And I just, I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit. That I didn't do this first service, but I just feel compelled by the Spirit of God to say that if you're here and you're in darkness, my job is not to judge you. My job is to tell you to believe in Jesus. Okay? He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Man, some, some of you, maybe you need to experience joy. You haven't had it in forever, okay? Because you put all your hope somewhere else. He and his whole household. This is a beautiful story. Remarkable story, you guys. I'm so encouraged by the story. We're going to hang out here for a few moments now, okay? We're going to hang out here. And I, what I want to do is I want to take the next several minutes, and I want us, I want to paint the picture of how bleak, how grim, how dark this situation was for Paul and Silas. So if you're here today and you're facing uncertainty, if you're here today and you're facing darkness, I want to just say you're not alone. You're not alone. I want to remind you that you're not alone. Paul and Timothy or Paul and Silas are in this grim situation. Brian Rapsky, a biblical commentator, 
gives a grim description of what normal conditions were like in prison. Some of us romanticize this, but let me show you a different picture. Here's what Brian writes, the scholar. He says, the prisoners would have been crammed together in the dark. So like cram, I mean, like maybe they didn't even have barely any room between them. I'm, I'm not sure. Their wounds from any floggings would be untended. So can you imagine open wounds on your back? Like, can you imagine how much that, how much pain, right? Think about how much pain a, a paper cut is, okay? Like I cry on a paper cut. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Carrie, where are the, where are the band-aids? He's like, shut up and get a band-aid, right? Paper cut, like, right? Can you imagine lashes on your back? These men would have, um, I'm sorry, uh, there would be no air circulation, so a stench would fill the air, so it would like reek of like, just, ugh, I can't even imagine, right? Their necks would be in collars, and their feet and arms were shackled. A length of chain running through their shackles prevented any hope of escape and probably any hope of restful sleep. Okay. So here are these guys, open wounds all over their back. They've been beaten. They've been beaten. They've been whipped and flogged, and they're chained and shackles going through them. And they're just like, I don't even know if they were barely conscious, just sweating, dripping, sweat, coming in and out of consciousness. And they're, here they are, Paul, Silas, wondering, what's next? Is this it? This might be it, man. This might be it. This might be it. I don't know if we'll make it out of this. I don't know either. This might be it, right? And I say this to you because it's so important that we think truly about the reality of the situation. Because if you grew up in church, you know what we do in, in, in church? Sometimes as kids, we, we, or even as adults, we, we romanticize the situation, right? We romanticize the story, right? I think some of us, maybe we grew up with this picture, like Paul and Silas were just like good. They were just like playing euchre in the dark, like, ah, you won again, Silas, <laughs> right? And they're just like having a good time. And then Silas is like, hey, Paul, I got this harmonica in my pocket. Where did that come from? Are you kidding me? Right? Oh, in the saints. And they're just like, doom, 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 doom. And all of a sudden, there's like harmonies, like gospel quartet, right? And they're just having a good old time behind bars, right? And it's like, and then there's like an earthquake. Like, yeah. They're high-fiving. Good job, dude, right? And listen, that is like not accurate, Okay. But I think that we can romanticize the story. And we forget about how bleak, how dismal it was, how dark the situation was. Can I give you a more accurate picture? A more accurate picture is that these guys, listen, were suffering tremendously. They were suffering tremendously. And in that moment, listen, they begin to sing and to, and to pray. And I believe, listen, that the song that they sang and then the prayer that they prayed, it didn't come because of their feelings. It didn't come because of their feelings. It, became, it only came because of faith, right? In other words, they didn't sing because they felt like it, is what I'm trying to say to you, right? So let me just say this as believers. Let me say it like this today. We don't wait for our feelings to line up with our faith. We tell our feelings what to do because of our faith, right? 
right? This is the reality of most of us when we walk through darkness. We're not pulling out the harmonica, doing a little jig, right? We're not. We're crying. We're trying to figure out what's next. We're, who are we going to tell? What does this mean for my family? Right? We're, 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 we're full of darkness, maybe even hopelessness. And oftentimes what we really have to do, actually, is, is we have to tell our hearts where to go. The psalmist does it. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. We'll look at that in just a few moments, actually, but not yet. Right? The psalmist does it, though. Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, said this, any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful singer is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night only, or come only from God. Come only from God. They are not in the power of men. They're not in the power of men. What's a song in the midnight hour? What's a song at night? What does that mean? Well, let me give you just a few. These are my definitions, by the way. I mean, you can come up with your own, I guess, if you read scripture. But let me just give you some, some of the, I, this is what I came up with. Number one, three different ways I would describe a song at night, a song given to you by God at night. It's a song in the midnight hour where, listen, you're in the midst of a desperate cry to God. It's when you don't know how much more pain you can endure. And when you, and it leaves you asking the question, why, God, why? It's a song that you sing when, you, when you're not sure how much more pain you can endure. Number two, I think a song in the midnight hour describes a song on the other side of unanswered prayer. Okay? On the other side of unanswered prayer, where you're left disillusioned, disappointed, and heartbroken. Okay? You see it like God has not answered your prayer. Number three, I think a song given at night or in the midnight hour is a song sung in faith when every fiber in your body would rather scream in angst rather than sing to God. It's a song that is sung by faith when everything inside of you would rather scream in angst. Some of us may be familiar with the song, It Is Well, the hymn, right? A lot of us know the hymn, It Is Well, but we may not know the story behind that song, sort of behind the music, VH1 style, right? Before that ever came up. So the writer, is, his name was Horatio Spafford. And Horatio Spafford, he knew from firsthand experience um, life's, about life's unexpected challenges, okay? So he was a um, very successful person. He was a successful attorney, and he was a real estate investor. But in the year 1871, during the Great Chicago Fire, he lost a ton of his wealth, much of his fortune. Now, to make things even worse, that same year, Horatio lost his son. 
because he had scarlet fever. His son passed away tragically. Lost his wealth, lost his son. So Horatio thought to himself that a vacation would be good for his family. So he tells his wife, I want you to take our three daughters and sail to England, and I'll catch up with you when I finish up my work here. So they take off on this ship to England, but along the way, there's a great tragedy. The ship, there's a shipwreck, and over 200 people die in the shipwreck, including all three of Horatio's daughters. All three of his daughters. His wife, upon making it to England, she sends a telegram to her husband, and this is what she says. Saved alone, what shall I do? So Horatio immediately set sail for England, but at one point during his journey, the captain of the ship, who was aware of the tragedy that had happened with the Spafford family, summons Horatio to come closer and tells him, we are now at the point where the shipwreck took place and you lost your three daughters. So in that moment, Horatio thinks about his daughters, thinks about his losses, words of comfort and hope filled his heart, his mind, and he wrote them down. And this is a, a cherished hymn that so many of us have sung. Here's a few lines. Here's what he writes. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now perhaps we may not ever be able to say completely that everything is well when it comes to our lives because we know that we'll always face storms. We know that there will always be tragedies in our world. But I think by faith and with divine help, listen, we can truly say it is well with my soul. We can say that. Did you know that scripture actually tells us that God gives us songs in the night? God gives us songs in the night. These are the songs that we sing in the middle of uncertainty, darkness, troubled waters. Psalm 42, I, I, I referenced this early, actually does it here. Let me give you some context. Verse number five, it says this, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. But notice what happens in verse number eight. You are familiar with verse number five, but verse number eight says this, by the day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So the psalmist has just described what that song is, right? It's a prayer to the God of my life at night. You, you got the context. The context was saying, why are you so downcast? Why? Why, why, why is your, why my soul is so downcast? I don't have any hope. It's darkness. The scripture says, at night he gives me a song. It's a prayer to my God. Job, in, in the Old Testament, Job was a man who suffered greatly, who suffered greatly. 
One of his friends, Elihu, Elihu, I think that's how you pronounce it anyways, says this to him in Job 35, 10 and 11. His friend is speaking to Job, but no one says, where is God, my maker, what? Who gives songs in the night. Who teaches us more than he teaches the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds in the sky. Who gives songs in the night. If there was anyone who ever suffered in Scripture, it's Job, okay? Obviously, it's Jesus, but apart from Jesus, second to Jesus, it's Job, okay? So today, listen, as we close in a few more moments, I think that all of us can pretty much agree that, that there is power in a song, right? That there is, there is power in music, right? There's power in music. Music has the power to, to shift our mood, doesn't it? I mean, it can, it can just change your mood. The moment that you listen to a song, it, it can change everything, okay? There's something else that's very, very powerful about music, and it's its, it's ability to, to bring us back into a moment, into a memory, and make it feel like we just experienced it yesterday. Have you ever had this moment where you're driving in your car and um, that song comes on, whatever that song is for you, it just takes you back to that place. Maybe it's on the radio, maybe it's like the digital playlist on your phone or whatever, and that song comes on and it's from the 80s, right? For you 80s kids, it's, or 70s, maybe for you 70s kids, or I'm a child of the 90s, so for me it's like a little bit of Third Eye Blind and Savage Garden, whatever. Song comes on and it's like, oh, it takes me back. It just, I mean, I'm back in that moment, right? Senior year of high school, <laughs> right? College years, I'm, I'm back in that moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And like my wife and I are singing together. We're like, we're like singing like in the, in the car together. We're like, right? Like, do you remember that? I remember that. Like, oh, it's just like nostalgic, right? Power of music, the power of a song. So listen, whatever it is for you, listen, whether it's like alternative music, grunge rock or whatever, whether it's a boy band from the 90s, whether it's like the love song that you and your spouse first danced to at your wedding, right? Listen, we know that there's power in a song that all of a sudden, listen, it's like, it's like stepping into a time machine where all of a sudden you start to feel the feels, you know what I'm saying? The emotions come over you. You can see. You can see the dance floor. You can see your high school. You, whatever it is, you, right? And you're pulled back into that moment. That's the power of a song. It's like we're there all over again. Music has the power to, to stir up our emotions, to, to, to move on the heart again, and to pull us back into that original moment. And I think for Silas and for Paul, that in that moment, listen, when everything looks really dismal, it's a very dark situation, turns into answered prayer. It turns into answered prayer. And where there is no faith present, I think that suddenly just a little bit of faith starts to rise up in them. Right? A little bit of faith starts to rise up in them. And in my imagination, this is my holy imagination. Listen, I think Paul and Silas, maybe they're hanging there and they start singing, 
like this song, right? I exalt thee, whatever it is, a hymn, and they're very, very quiet. But by the time they get to that chorus, maybe it's much louder. It's louder, louder, and louder. Listen, and all of a sudden, listen, faith begins to rise, and there's this, there's this peace that they experience. It's the overwhelming peace of Jesus Christ that floods their hearts in that moment. And then they may not know what's going to happen next. Okay, they may not know what's going to be their answer. They may not know how things are going to end up. They, they may not know if they're going to escape from prison. They may, they may not even know, listen, are, are we even going to live through this? But there's a peace that just comes over. Peace that comes over. Sometimes God gives us a song at night. It's a song that we don't want to sing, but it's a song that we need to sing. And so maybe you're here today. And maybe you need to sing a song. Maybe you're walking through uncertainty. Maybe you're walking through darkness. For some of you, tears are already starting to, you're already coming down your face, right? And you don't, you don't want to sing a song, but it's a song that you need to sing. Because as you sing, listen, little by little, faith begins to rise up. Faith, the peace of God just comes in, like, it's, like a, it's like a warm blanket, blanket just comes and just wraps itself around you and, and you still don't have the answers and you, you still don't know what's next. You still don't know how it's going to end. But the peace of God that surpasses all understanding comes over you because God has given you a song in the night, a song in the midnight hour. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe for some of you, you you come to understand. You come to see what your next step is. Like you get revelation and you know, you know the next step. Just, just the next step. You don't know the end game, but you know the next step. But for many others of you, there is no next step for you. You, you won't know it because listen, you're not taking that next step. Maybe perhaps for you, Jesus is taking the next step while he's carrying you. And that's the step that you're taking. It's the step that Jesus takes with you in his arms. So today I've asked Kendall and James if they would sing us a song about God's faithfulness. That for you, it would be like a warm blanket. For you, it would be the hope that you need. For you, you may not know what's next. You may not be given an answer, and that's okay. But for you in the moment, listen, faith just begins to rise so subtly. So we're going to do that here in just a moment. I'm going to pray for you quickly. Father in heaven, we thank you for songs that are given in the night, songs that are sung in the midnight hour. God, would you come in this room and give us peace that surpasses all understanding? God, we look to you. We trust in you today, even when we don't know what's next. Even in darkness, God, we trust you. In Jesus' name.